welcome everybody to webinar Wednesday. We are excited to be back again. Um, as usual on Wednesdays. We're starting a new format. Um, we're going to do a quick little presentation on designing homes to beat high interest rates, a really short story. Ed has a long story on this one. This one he cut down so we could have some discussion. So we're going to follow this uh, 10 to 15 minute presentation with some discussion back and forth. We welcome you um, welcome your questions throughout the webinar. So in the first 10 minutes, we're going to hold all the questions until the end. But after that, please go ahead and ask your questions as they come up. I'm actually gonna send it over to Ed to get it kicked off. Thank you, Emma Jane. Um, as we just said, um, I ha was having technical difficulties. So right now I have Emma Jane run the slideshow for me. Uh, go to the, like the third slide, where do the buyers go? Um, so if you haven't really thought about what had happened from this February to last, uh, last February to this February, Interest rates jumped, and I called a friend of mine who's, who does all of my, my preferred lender and grabs some interest rates from him on average. Right now, some of the builders are, are getting some different adjustable rates and whatnot, but this is basically the, the, the net effect of what it did to our buyers. So last, last year, a good price a lot of builders were working with were around $500,000. Interest rate was about 3.5, which gave them their rate, their, their monthly payment of $2,200. Fast forward to, you know, well, February was yesterday, but fast forward to this year at $500,000 and the current rate, which was, this was at the beginning of the month without doing any adjustables or anything else. Essentially what, what happened is their, their interest rate went up $950 for a 30% increase. Next slide, please. Um, and that, that really crushed our first time to move up buyers. It's not easy to absorb a $1,000 a month increase. Uh, first time and, and move up, it's, it was out of their price point. So put them on, on the sideline for the time being. There's still a demand on almost every market that we've been working in. There's still the, there's up the buyer's desire. But the net effect is almost you know, a 25% drop or so in sale price. So now you got to get back down. So this, this slide here, if, you, if, you, if you're not being careful and get your price down, what's happening is it's your gross profit that's slipping, okay? I have to get down to like, you know, from 500 to 400 or, and below, kick up that, that price the same, that's a huge discount. And I, you cannot survive, by the way, on the reality of a 13% gross profit. Shock and Emma have always preached that the target should be 30. So obviously, why would I want to get into subsidized housing? So anyway, next slide, Emma Jane. So the reality is I got to get down from five to about 375 or give or, give or take. Um, at that point in time, I can get back up to my, my gross profit and and start at thirty percent and start have the, have the sale price and and the the buyer's uh, monthly payment about the same. So that's the net effect of the reality of where our what our buyers are now looking at. Next slide, Emmanuel. So in in reality, okay, when I start doing this, what do I need to do? I got to lower my directs, okay. And doing it this way, it's showing me I need to lower my directs almost twenty five percent. Twenty five percent is hard. Is real hard to do. There's a couple of things I need to do to, in order to accomplish that. Okay, next slide. Um, and we work with a couple of builders doing this. The first thing I got to do immediately when this happened, and if you weren't doing this back uh, back in the fall, you, you waited too long. Before we get started, Chuck and I were talking a little bit, and this is every single time. I my first downturn was in 1987. We had another one in the 90s. Um, you know, and little ones here and there. The the, the 
One that hit between 07 and 08 was pretty drastic. But honestly, it hasn't changed. The, the, there's, the one thing we have going for us now is there's still demand in most markets. Most markets are still pretty high. So what do we do? Okay, existing product immediately. If you weren't able to get all this stuff in the last five years that we've been throwing in these houses out, you waited too long. That should have been October, November, and even back to, to summer. The next thing is, which takes a little more effort, is new product. The one builder we were working with as we start working back in October, November, hit his, his, immediate, his, his existing product immediately and was able to do a dollar for dollar uh, reduction. And by the way, when you do dollar for dollar reduction, take, take the material out, what you do is you actually lower the price and increase your margin. That's a good thing, by the way. Uh, the next piece is really new product. What I like about new product is it doesn't, I'm not discounting my current houses, which means I'm not offending all my existing buyers by coming in and lowering the value in the neighborhood. So how we do this? We do this with just the square footage. I got to become more efficient. Um, if, if you saw some of the pictures I have on my phone on inefficiencies, you'd be shocked. We just got real sloppy in the last five years. We were busy being busy and not watching what we were building. We put too much crap in the house. We too much too much overframing, too much uh, structural pieces. Um, so the next piece is the waste. There's waste everywhere. Um, in, in the last few weeks, I've been traveling with builders and I see an extreme amount of waste. Next to that, if you haven't been doing unitized pricing, you gotta, gotta move towards it. The, our, our trades have been, have been on a, an upward swing for the last two plus years. Um, our joke that we always say is purchasing's only um, negotiating strategy in the last two years was please, please, please. There was no negotiating, no unit prices, and the trades have got the, num got the numbers up. I got to get that out. Next, I want to become, improve my process and systems, work with those trades, become the builder choice in your market, okay? I also want to start meeting with the trades. I meet with the trades, and we can build no houses at that high number, or we can go back to the number we were working at and work with them to get that number down. It's pretty easy. Next, work with the manufacturers. Talk to manufacturers. Supply chain, we keep we, our, our internal thing is we've quit COVID. I don't want to hear about it anymore. COVID, is, um, as far as I'm concerned, is over. I want to start finding the smart manufacturers, the ones that can actually deliver products. I met with a window company recently and get me windows in three to four weeks. My old window company was still at 12 plus weeks. So I want to start finding the smart manufacturers, okay? Next, improve the cycle time. Cycle time, all, all different kinds of ways have been killing us. I mean, soft cycle, um, time to build a house. I was with the builder a couple of weeks ago that they were still up to, up to 300 plus days to build a house. You gotta get the excuses out, get those build times down. If I go to a buyer right now and I'm telling them it's gonna take me a year to build their house, they have zero desire to get in the, in, into a contract with me. They wanna have a, a, an actual real date that's definable. We don't know what's gonna happen another year. If I can build her house in 120 days, I've got half a shot to get them to actually want to buy with me. Next slide, Imogene. Thank you. So this is the reality. Um, we've done this several times. Um, one of my coworkers, Dave Burley, just did this with the builder. Um, and by the way, this isn't his. This is one, another builder from last year we worked with. Through going through everything we just described, we were able to pull the 10% out. So I can pull 10% out of my existing product. And here's a good example of what we did to do this. Okay, and it wasn't hard. It was just, you know, stop with the excuses, meet with the trades, unitize pricing, everything else we just outlined, and do this. This got 
Uh, Dave just did it again in the last couple of months with the builder in the Southwest. Again, he pulled 10% plus out. By the way, when they lowered the, 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 uh, the sale price by 10%, what it did was lowered the sale price by 10%. So think about a $500,000 house, that's 50 grand. That's pretty good. That's getting people's attention. The product didn't change, by the way. You lower it by, by, by that 10%, and guess what? You actually increase the margin. So next slide, Imogen. So the answer has always been, and every single downturn I've lived through, is I got to get my product efficient. We've got probably five years of adding, adding, adding for the last five years. We grew in square footage. We grew in elevations. We grew in amenities. We grew in kitchens. We just got real expensive, okay, in the last five years. Even in the last two years, our price increases, sale prices escalated higher than our, our cost increases. So the new product is the answer. Um, I'll start, start looking at the new product and get that square footage down so, so I can get the other half my 25% out. Um, they're all new plan names, by the way, all new. So all my existing homeowners are not offended or, or, or mad at us for, for devaluing the, their, their home and their community. As long as I start keeping the product looking good, more streamlined, um, good elevations, and just reduce square footage, you'll get that, the rest of that m money down, okay? Um, next, the next, my next line is get serious about being efficient. We are horrible as builders as, as on a whole as being efficient. Um, we always laugh. We have this presentation we do the walk of shame. We are horrible at looking. Nobody ever challenges an, an engineer or an architect on sizes of beams. Start looking at them, challenge them, ask them what the, what the, what the, where, where they are on some of the inflections and other things, really right size it. Okay, and again, the last line is get, get the, the, um, the elevations um, in tune. Uh, the, the next slide after that is really the reality. Chuck that on, on, on beforehand, I don't necessarily want to look at my competition. First of all, your competition is a public. They will drop their prices to, to appease Wall Street, and they'll just, you'll run yourself into the ground and lose money if you follow, follow public. So look at your competition for sure, but that, 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 that takes time for it to hit the street, okay? The fastest thing to do, if you want to see where, where, where people are still buying, if you look at the little squares or as an existing, existing product, the little diamonds above that is the competition. All the blue ones, look at that, that next line down, that massing of, of the blue, blue dots, by the way, that's resale. Thank you, Imogene. That's resale. Resale hits immediately. So in about March 15th, you'll be able to go see what happened in February. In my state, it's all public records. I can go to the county and get all this information. So here's proof that that's where I need to get to. It's pretty easy to get there. I just told you. Um, next slide is time is not on our side, okay? The, the new spring market kicked off a couple of weeks ago about the Super Bowl. I've been hearing from builders that their web hits are up. Body counts on site are starting to get up. Um, so the sale season is really starting now. I've got I've to move fast. If I waited till now, I'm already behind the eight ball, by the way. Um, we're not hitting the buyer's budget. So how do I get there? I've got to get that square footage down. Um, so the last thing, and then we'll go to Q&A, is the last time this happened, as we start putting this plan in place, everything I just outlined, by the way, it's the same thing every single downturn. It hasn't changed since I've been in the business. So what I did last time is I put coming soon on the website, these new prices and our website hit up, lit up. So again, sales season starting. If you haven't started this process now, you better get started real fast. Emma Jean, questions from anybody? 
told me to hit 15 minute mark. So I just <laughs> made it just below it. You did. And we did have a question pop up. It's, this is from Tyler. And he wants to know what are some, some common waste examples you've seen when traveling and looking at different products? Waste. Um, so a couple forms of waste. One is over-design. Last week, um, and the last three weeks, actually, a lot of it sitting there just looking at the over-designed power lamps, uh, over-designed spans, um, really start talking to. But, so um, you got to know who to ask. Um, I can go back to a manufacturer in some cases. I'll go back to my structural engineer. So I see a lot of over-design. I see a lot of waste where this is what we say how we're building, and this is how the framer decide to build it on their own. Um, and the rest is just inefficient designs. Um, back in December, a builder built over a three-car garage, which is 300 square feet on average, 300 square feet. They got 240 square feet in that 300 square feet, and they had eight parallels to hold up that space. You got to start and think about how am I holding this stuff up? How am I designing? And then design your, your floor plan into the efficient box. And if you challenge an architect, the architect I use, I challenge him. And he usually helps me out all the time. So I just got to know where I'm wasting. Then again, look around. If you're stepping onto piles and piles of stuff, you're probably not using unitized pricing. Good question, Tyler. Um, on that note too, Ed, what are some important questions you should have prepared when you're going to talk to your engineer or your um, architect? So I know I'm probably a little bit over the top, but in one case, my current architect that I use all the time always tells me I'm a pain in the butt. But he's not wrong. I'm always going in and telling them what I want. I'm giving my architect the envelope, the building envelope. I'm telling them what series of joists I want to use. I'll also go through the window catalog. Window catalogs, by the way, have a wealth of information. And if you don't tell anybody the efficient windows, they'll, they'll find the most expensive ones. If you think about it, an architect's job is to make a building look good. That's what you're paying them to do. So I'd like to challenge them to actually help me design the most efficient box possible. Excellent. And let me let me pipe in here just for one second. I just looked at some of the numbers. You want to flip so on your thing, camera, Chuck? Huh? Flip on your camera so people can okay, see. Okay, I can flip on the camera. There we go. There I am, the old man. I just looked at uh, some of the information. Existing home sales, they've been dropping for 13 months. Right now, they're 38% down from where they were 13 months ago. On the sales price, which Ed was talking about, the median sales price for uh, existing homes has been dropping for the last seven months, and, and the drop has been 13.2%. There's your competition. And if you're trying to match it just by discounting, you're going to go broke. Absolutely. Well, that's a great question, Chuck. I, it brings me to a question that we talked about earlier. How do you avoid using your competitors as the pricing barometer? So you're talking about using the um, the existing home sales. Are there other other pitfalls that you can fall into when you're using your competitors or the nationals for pricing models? They don't always tell you the truth, number one. Why would they? Um, if you're driving the competition, I want to see if they're actually starting homes. Um, if you're relying on your sales team to talk to other sales teams, it's probably not a good thing. Um, if you're looking at what your competition is doing as they're transferring, they're transferring houses that are a year old or longer. So it gives you a total false sense of security. 
one thing that I always like doing is using a Gmail account of whatever is stay in touch with them as, as you're a customer. Secret shop them. Find out what they're doing. Um, again, if you're dealing with a, a national, you know, at the end of a quarter, they'll discount like all, all crazy. Um, but to Chuck's point, the existing is usually what's, what's moving and moving quickly. Yeah, and one of the things that the competition is going to do is add more stuff. They've got the, they got the old product, and what they're going to do is start throwing options and upgrades to add it, trying to entice the customer. But it's affordability that the customer's got a problem with. Right. And, and they're just digging a deeper hole. Yeah, adding, adding in some cases, especially first time and the first time move up, adding is not necessarily helping them. Okay, well, now I've got a, a, a kitchen that I don't really want, but I still can't afford the house. So some of the danger, what, list, can you list some of the dangers um, of trying to protect your current pricing? Um, if, I, if, if I don't find a way to get down to where the buyers are, I'm not going to sell houses. A lot of the builders that haven't sold houses in you know a month or two, it should be all hands on deck to figure out what can I get out of my houses. And Emma Jane, we were talking about this ahead of time is about team buy-in. I have to get the whole team to focus on this. If you waited till now and, and your web pits are way down and your sales are way off so far this year, you got to move quick. You've only got to the end of June. And our, our traffic's going to die again. So yeah. you got to move really fast. So the interest, question on the interest rates are going to seven percent already, and we got at least two more, probably three more Fed actions that's going to raise interest rates further. So we're already above seven. Agreed. Uh, my example, I think, was six and a half or something, and that was at the beginning of the month for the IBS show, but. Uh, the team's got to buy in, and everybody, everybody's got to understand. We got to stop having feelings. They're just numbers. Numbers don't have feelings. You got to get, you got to get all the stuff out of a house, and right size the product, and get the new product rolled out. Yeah, and I, it, as you do that, my experience has been it takes three rounds. The first round of trying to reduce costs in your, your house, you're just scratching the surface. Second round, you're starting to get into the stuff that you need to work on third round you finally start getting the what you need to get out of the house to get it competitive so, so let me let me ask you this real quick before you go on um you have you're talking about getting the team together who are the people that you need on this team to make these decisions and understand how to change your product is it ownership is it sales is it purchasing estimating is it the field who who do you need on this team to create the a new product and understand what are the benefits of the, the different team members? All of the above, Emma Jane. Um, the builder I was with back in December, the first person that was um, pushing back on this was the owner. The owner has this vision that, you know, Chuck and Ed's building company, well, we can't take that out. We got to leave that in. That's, you know, we like that. Well, that's what we like. That's not necessarily what our buyers need. Uh, sales has a great insight of what they're hearing from the buyers, Okay. Not to mention, I should bring the stats to the table. What have we been selling? So I want to have the sales involved and the ownership involved and the operation involved. And um, we often forget this team called purchasing that knows all the numbers, knows all the trades. Um, in my old world, my construction, my, my direct construction costs were extremely low, the lowest in 
Chuck's builder groups. And that's partially because I ran product development and knew all the numbers. So as you're pointing out what things cost, that's what, that's what the purchasing team can do. Point out what things cost and how can I find alternates to get my numbers down? You also need the trades. And what, what, one of the things is you bring the trades in. Um, talk to them about the fact that you're looking for efficiencies and better product, better pricing on product, but I'm not after your profits. I'm, I'm not after your margins. The publics are going to go and send them an, a letter saying, as of the receipt of this letter, your price, your, your, your uh, bid just went down 10%. Uh, that's not very user-friendly when you start talking to the trades. So talking to the trades saying, we all want to stay in business together. We want to build houses. We've got to get efficient in what we're doing. We need for you to help us. And But I'm not going to go after your margins. You, that, that's not what we're after. We're after efficiency. And I'll give my customer dollar for dollar. You save me, you save me $5 on a faucet. I'll, I'll take that $5 out of the sales price. So they don't think you're pocketing in the, the money that you're asking them for. 100% right, Chuck. So uh, Dave Burley just did it with a builder, same exact thing about with all the trades. I'm not after your profit. I'm looking at for, for some savings. And one of the things I always tell the trades is we can keep at this number and we're sold no houses. Or how do we get back to the number we were at last year? And we all got to find ways and work together. So excellent point. Emma Jane, sorry, I cut you off. No, I was just saying it. This is definitely a team effort. There's not one person that's that's making these decisions in a vacuum. It's definitely a, a process that you're going to involve an entire team to have discussions to make the best decisions with the best information. Um, I yeah. have a question here from Lee. Um, he says his company, our, our company's smallest homes are three bedrooms, two bathrooms. Would you suggest decreasing bedrooms or bathrooms? Um, I don't know your product line. Um, depending where you are, dropping below three in some cases can be pretty drastic. Um, I, in most cases, there's some other efficiencies. Um, in, in the last, you know, one of those I was working with kept a three bedroom, just made a much more efficient box on the three bedroom, but cut down to a one and a half bath, not a two and a half bath. I'd be very careful on the bedrooms. I don't know your market, but that going below a three is can be problematic. Going from a four to a, to a three, three with flex space is, is, is very doable. And I think one of the examples of what you're talking about is what Dave just got finished doing. You cut, he cut what about twenty thousand, twenty somewhere around twenty to thirty thousand dollars out of the house. They he had was been four, ten, four months, ten percent of sale price. They had been four months with no sales, and after yep. they entered the, after they offered the new product, they sold four immediately. Yep. And by the way, when, once you start doing this. And if you if you're moving quickly, I I was confident with where I was on my existing product. I was confident where I was on my new product. If you're not if, when you start with new product, you should with all the technology. Dave does this very really well. He's using PlanSwift to do the estimating as I'm designing. If I can get to that level of pricing, I can actually be bold enough to put that sale price on my website now, like next week, coming soon and then start selling some pictures. You'll start driving traffic real fast. But if you're designing in a vacuum, you're in trouble. So speaking on current product to new product, 
what, what are some of the, the key things that you need to consider when you're transitioning from current product to new product? First of all, I want to know what's, you know, I want to know what's selling in my market. I want to know the elevations are selling. Elevations are still going to drive the sale, by the way. Um, I want to keep as close as I can to my existing product, just make it more efficient. So with the builder a couple of weeks ago, they had three different materials on their, their, their front porch posts, three different materials. The simple thing there was get, is keep it simple, stupid, get down to one from the base and then option the rest. So one of the things I want to do is in this transition is I'm going to, I'm going to strip, I'm going to strip down even my current elevations. You know, we have been loading stuff in for almost five years. We got to get the fat out. So this builder had uh, four columns on a house, three different material uh, types on a column. And literally it was like $5,000 on columns. You got to know your cost and where to get them out. And to Chuck's point, knowing your trades are going to help you do it. So what are the top three things to focus on first when you're going through this process of redesigning and taking out costs? Where, where do you start? Because it's, it's an overwhelming process. You have so many different trades in there, so many different products, so many different, and some, some of these builders have different product lines. What are the top three things that you would say if, if you're getting ready to do this, where do you start? <coughs> and then I have a question from Ben when we're done with this. So where want to start, well, so first of all, it's not a very linear process. I, I got to do a lot of things at once. So I'll get all team members working, okay? Sales, go find out what's going on with our competition. I really want to know what that is. Not that I'm going to make, make my decisions on that. Same thing, sales and marketing. What's, what's, what's going on in the resale world, okay? I want to find out the price point that I need to be at. Construction team, go walk their sites, okay? Open your eyes. One of the things you say all the time that super tenants get snow blind to waste. Waste not only what's on the ground, but waste what's in the house. Uh, you know, in the longer version, I actually shared, I had some pictures and we cut them out for this, but the waste on the ground is phenomenal how much we can pull out of a house just by the waste. Purchasing, if I'm bid management, knock it off. That's the lazy way of doing it. Go to unitized pricing, get to the bottom line, control your own lumber, okay? Bid things out. We got real buddy-buddy before the down, before things turned and the lumber, lumber time. And every builder I was working with would tell me they had the only lumber company in town. Start getting some competitive pricing. Um, the other thing is I need the entire team to sit down and really look at, at our overall efficiencies. Do I really need that many kitchen cabinets? Do I really need those windows? Am I actually buying the, the best, uh, the, the least, the, the uh, high efficient windows? Am I over-designing product line? So I'm a Jane, it's, uh, it's my answer to that is, I, you're, you're going to hit this like buckshot. You got to hit a whole lot of things and hit them hard because you, get, you got to be able to focus and get to these bottom lines. At this point, March 1st, you get about 30 days to roll up or less to get that new pricing out there to make your year. So basically, as the leader of your group or your organization or of the product development team, your job is to figure out how to make the best decisions. And by doing that, you're coordinating your entire team and giving them individual assignments. So it's not you doing three things, it's each of your departments doing two or three things, bringing it together so you can make the best decisions. Absolutely, There's a lot of people involved to do this and, and doing it quickly. It, so in, it, a couple of years ago, we were so busy, we couldn't, we couldn't get out of our own, we just couldn't find time to do anything. We're barely keeping things that, you know, alive. Now we have some time, everybody I've been with, I don't remember how many builders I've been with so far already this year. <coughs> Everybody I've been with has some time to actually focus on this. Yep. 
So we have a question from Ben. Um, he's moving into a new subdivision and will be cutting back a lot on the product as you suggest, but he needs to get through 20 inventory homes that are completed and too late to cut features out to save money. What do you suggest in that case? I'm trying to keep prices up to not undercut the equity of my past buyers. So offering financing incentives and free appliances or backyard landscaping in order to try to get them sold. Discounting. Then you're on existing inventory. That's about all you can do. The financing is probably the most important thing. You know, at least on financing, it might cost you money, but it's not, it's not sacrificing the existing. Um, one of the builders was just with recently um, has got far much, too, far, far too many inventory homes. Um, the one thing we talked about, because they can't get, they can't pull things out right now, so they're kind of stuck. Um, but one of the things we talked about is in, increase your marketing effort. You know, you got to, you just got to market harder. You know, uh, just find out, um, just more. You know, sales and marketing effort, and and probably um, sweeten the, the financing deals is probably your best bet to get rid of those. And to Chuck's point, with more common, get rid of them now. Don't wait. Well, and yeah. I know that you guys talked about a different and, and a way to kind of make those sound um, really what really good is, and you did this with some of your product with your builder down in the Southwest, where you advertised or accentuated the fact that it had options in it that were no longer available. So you kind of enhanced the home by saying these things were included in the pricing, right? Is that am I understanding that correctly from that? So it, um, it makes it look better than it. So in some cases, well, that particular builder have been adding, adding, adding literally for the last five years, um, too much class, too much everything. And, when, and then we took stuff out. And by the way, they were still better than the competition. That's how much they had loaded in it. Um, the builder I was with uh, I know, three or four weeks ago um, didn't have a whole lot. They were already building highly efficient framed houses. A lot of theirs was coming from working with the trades and when I worked with them last spring, they were 180 days to build a house. They're back down to 90. So the speed is also the other thing to start thinking about. The buyers have a lot more confidence to Chuck's point. Um, if you're going to take 180 or 200 days to build a house, what's going to happen at the end of 200 days? They're scared to death of that. Ben, I don't know if that answered your question. Standing inventory is tough. Hard market, hard market you know, work with the banks to get the best rates um, and push hard. Push your sales team hard too. I don't have any additional questions at this time. Chuck, do you have any other questions you want to no, ask Ed? Uh, well, I think one of the things that uh, on Ben's situation, if I've got specs in the market, what I've done is taken stuff out of the houses that I'm now offering as my new product. Uh, I like the fact that we changed the name, changed the elevation, but if we don't have the, that capability, take the stuff that you took out of the houses and put it in your design center. And then you refer to, the, you, you refer to the spec houses that you have for sale, that it includes these options and you can actually put a sheet in each one of those spec houses saying base house included options and go through the options so that they're not comparable. What, what you're looking at is this is the product, base product, this is, this is a spec house, and in the spec house, we've included these options in, the, in, that, in that spec. Um, that, that 
eliminates the problem of, well, you just cut the price or you just made the, the, the house um, not comparable because you took all this stuff out of the house. Well, you had it in a model or in a spec, but you don't have it in the houses that you're offering now at the new price. The chalk to add to that, but I was with a couple of weeks ago, the specs that I walked, um, they were okay. They weren't showroom, they weren't model. What we talked about there is, I don't take it to CO and let it sit needing a final clean. I want that showroom ready. Uh, you mentioned a little uh, in the beginning is I want a sign as you walk in, all the things that are, that are now optional in that house. They are standard in that house. Now to Chuck's point, you're making them optional. So make sure your spec program, this particular builder spec program was uh, the, the builder got his bonus at CO. It's not at CO. I want that thing inspected and spotless because um, it's really showtime now. And just make sure your sales team are selling that house as much as they possibly can. Well, there's something to be said about things being free, so to speak, because it was part of the original package and it being now included. The idea of it being included adds extra value than if it's just free, because that was part of the house originally. It gives it a different connotation. Um, we do have a question here from Brad. They build approximately 30 homes a year in various locations. When doing specs, we have started building two to three at once next to each other, where trades can move from one house to the next without moving equipment, et cetera. Should I be getting a discounted rate from trades for this and what is it worth? Yes. <laughs> there's, there's no, um, I don't know what mark you're, you're at, but in my market, if I'm doing that, my foundation guy will absolutely give me a discount because I'm hauling those metal, metal panels for through the full foundation walls, uh, you know, frame or the same thing. So to your point, 30 homes a year, you're, you're big enough to still meet with your trades and say, listen, help me out. I'm going to build 30 homes in 2023. At this rate, I don't want to build 15. Help me find ways to get more efficient so I, we can still do 30 homes together. That's the negotiating strategy. And you'd be surprised how many trades respond to that. You know, speaking on that, um, what are some of the things that you should be considering when you are working with the trades? Um, to find savings. We talked about having the trades involved and finding um, ways to reduce costs, but what are some of the things that are hidden like this, this example that you can use to help reduce the costs from the trades and become a builder of choice? So a couple of things to MJ's first point is how can they help me reduce direct construction costs? Um, what are we putting in? You got about 35 for trades per house. If I only ask them for $100, they'll find $100. So raise the bar, not $100, and go to $500. So a lot of that is really talking with them, starting out from, from ground up, okay? Um, the next thing is you talk, talk about the builder choice. You know, how can you make things easier for them? And the pre previous example is, I'm, I'm going to build these houses, go out on, on a limb, build these houses you know, in sequence, you know, in locations to make it easier for you, can you share that, that benefit with me? Um, up until uh, last year, the only negotiating strategy we had for dollar or manpower was please, please, please. That's no longer the case. So think about how you can go back to your trades and try to get um, them to buy in to helping me. 
Again, there's about 35 trades. All of them know what it is. Okay, so go hit them up. Yeah, and they, all the trades know where you're inefficient and know where you're using the wrong product. Just talk to them. Yep. Yeah, they'll come back to you and say, well, if you would change, and I had this happen to me when I was a builder. I was talking to my plumber. He says, well, if you change from this manufacturer to this manufacturer, I'll save you $5 a faucet. First off, it simplifies the warranty because I won't have a warranty on the product that I'm recommending. Plus, it's a it's a less expensive faucet. Well, count the number of faucets you have in every one of your houses, and you got $5 just because you stopped and said hello in one of the houses. I mean, it, it, it isn't that hard to actually no. talk to the trades if you are partnering. And you can give them a number. You can you can say, I got I got to get out of the plumbing. I mean, if you do the preliminary budget, you can go through and say, I've got to get a $300 or $400 out of my plumbing bid. What's your recommendation? You'd be so surprised would, how fast they'll come back. Yeah. So would having a trade council of some sort be very beneficial in this whole process that we're talking about? And what does that look like for a builder? I would definitely recommend the trade council. Um, that's usually typically eight to 12 um, that, you know, meet with them together in some cases. Uh, I would not meet together with two trimmers. You know, I would meet together with MEPs, framers and such and as a team and see how they can help each other save some money. The, the other thing that I would definitely say and I think a lot of builders fell into this trap a couple of years ago is right now trades are looking for work. Suppliers are looking for work. They weren't up until just recently introduced competition back into the equation. Um, there, um, two, a couple of weeks ago by introducing competition found out that they were riding the numbers up and not really the current street value. We kind of fall in love with our trades and don't want to hurt their feelings and don't really want to introduce competition introduced to your operation a 80-20 rule, you know, that nobody has more than 80% of my work. If, if you, for some reason, were to get into to a point where you had a sole source, I want to do open book. I want to make sure I'm not overpaying. So what are some of the dangers of having sole sourcing? I know um, you and Chuck have talked many times about the 80-20 rule. What exactly is that? And how does, it, how does this help in our situation where we're trying to reduce costs? So, had a builder in the Midwest, sole sourcing. He had the best plumber HVAC company in the world, been with them for X amount of years. Um, a public comes into town and, and they were 60% of the public, 60% of his volume was the public. The public came back to him and said, all or nothing. When the guy walked, they were in trouble, okay? The other thing is, if I'm not doing 80-20 and I'm not bidding continuously and I don't have unit prices, you have no idea if you're at the bottom. So when Dave worked with the builder in the Southwest, introduced 80-20, introduced unitized pricing, literally in four months, dropped the numbers and rebuilt the system too, by the way, but you know, went from bid management to unitized pricing. Four months later, was somewhere like 10.5% less in directs. And the Chuck's point, as soon as they had that lower sale price, boom, start selling houses again. Now, is there a fine point about going out and getting bidding? I know you guys have talked before about it's time to go out and get bidding, but is there too much? Can you... Can you do too much bidding, sending out things too much to bid? And what does that look like? Well, first of all, I'll start out with, if you just send a bid out to a company and get a number in and don't really work it or won't, aren't willing to give that work away anyway, 
your sport bidding. All sport bidding does is raise the bar and you don't know the bar is raised because they just gave you the mail in a number. They gave you a retail, you know, I don't care if the building never gives away work. Um, I had a hard rule that I wanted at least three bids. Uh, lumber in some cases in my market, I've got, I could have up to five bidders if I wanted to. Um, but I wanna I want to actually get down to, I wanna bid people I'm really willing to give work away to. If I bid, okay, and I'm not willing to give the work away, I artificially raised it. And then by the way, those people don't wanna give you a serious bid next time. They just give you the mail it in number. They give you retail. Excellent. So that doesn't help you become a builder of choice, I'm sure. <laughs> it does not. You know, and by the way, um, when lumber hit, every single builder that was sole sourced, you were riding the coattails of how good or bad that lumber company was, which by the way, is a bad thing, real bad. So we're coming down to the last 15 minutes of um, our time here. And um, if anybody else has any questions, please, please feel free to, to ask them. But um, I'm gonna ask another question. So now we've got so many different cost codes. Is there one cost code that you think like the top three cost codes, if you're going in to try to reduce costs, what are the top three cost codes you would start with to look at so if you're, if you're doing? If you're doing like existing product, let's say it's existing product, you have to try to figure out how to get prices down on your existing product. What would be the first top three cost codes you would go after? So it's probably about eight, honestly. So okay. take your take take your budget, drop it, drop it your budget, break it down into Excel. On the far right hand side, you sort by percentage of the total number. That's going to give you your top eight. By the way, the top eight are your are your building envelope. Your, your frame is going to be number one, depending on your market, you know, it changes after that. Frame number one, for me, then it's concrete. And then I go to the whole building envelope. And the last one I'm going to add in beyond that is probably going to be my, my kitchen, kitchens and tops. You know, as I travel, kitchens and tops don't sound like a big deal, but I see kit builders all the time that are offering 10 standards in granite. 10 standards. By the way, eight of those are overpriced. So... You know, um, to Emma Jane, to your question, there's about eight that I hit all the time. If I do things linear, it takes too long. I want to take those top eight, and that's probably going to represent 60 to 80% of my direct construction costs. Oh, Chuck, you're muted. One of the things everybody forgets about is your roof. Suppose you take an 812 or a 1012 pitch roof and you drop it to an 812 pitch roof. How much money do you save? How many squares of roofing material do you save? How many sheets of plywood do you save? How much do you save on your trusses? And go talk to your truss manufacturer because he's probably over-designed your truss. But I could go from an 812 to a seven and a half 12. Nobody's ever gonna see it from the street. And you've saved a ton of money. It's little teeny things like that that make all the difference in the world on your cost structure. Yep. So uh, Chuck, I, a couple of weeks, couple of weeks ago, walking a job to your point, they went from eight to a seven and a half and they got rid of a cap truss. You know what those cap truss costs? They're a <laughs> fortune, number one, and the labor was insane. The, the, the framer on the first question said yes to $500 without negotiating, just by getting rid of them. And I can do a Texas hip 
A Texas hip looks like it's a it's a big gigantic roof, but it's an A12 through the main part, and then they then they tilt the, the sides up so it's a 10 or a 12-12 pitch on the side. It looks like a mammoth roof. It really isn't a mammoth roof. So I mean, you can do all kinds of stuff like that to get your cost in in line. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have a comment here from Clay, and I think you two will appreciate this. It, um, he says he's personally met with developers he works with and talked to them about where they were willing to ease guideline restrictions in order for us as a company to save money. He was surprised at how willing they were to work with him. So this is a little bit of what you guys are talking about when you're talking with the trades. You also have um, other people that you've talked about bringing into the mix when you're um, doing research about product. Who are some of the other people? I'm leaving this question, Chuck, because this is one of your favorite people that you like to ask questions to. Oh, the engineers? No. <laughs> to ask questions about product and what's going on in the marketplace. It's your appraisers and your Oh, the appraisers. Yeah. When, when I was a builder, I had an appraiser. Uh, thank you for leading me in on that. <laughs> Most of us hate appraisers. Appraisers have more information about my competition and what my competition is selling what options are selling and what prices they are there those options are selling for than anybody else in the market and i can go in i used to have him on my outside board of directors i had an appraiser he was a he was the one that was worth more to me than anybody else because it would bring all the information he knew the existing market he knew the price ranges on the existing market you know, my competitors, he knew what was included in each one of the sales. So he could tell me what was, what options were selling, what options weren't selling. I mean, he's a, first off, nobody talks to him. So once you open the spigot, uh, he just flows with information. So thank you, Emma Jane. That is absolutely a fantastic source. But when I talked about the engineers, you got to talk to the engineers because they're over-designing your product and they, they dog ear the same page and their, and their uh, span tables. And you got to get them to think out of the box on different varieties of material, different sizes of material and so forth. Yeah. Uh, you, same with your trust, man, trust manufacturer and trust engineer. Well, thank you for the one of the things I, I do thinking. all the time is is look up and see what the series is and go check the span tables. And Clay, by the way, that's really good news that your that your developers are actually open open minded to that. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. If this thing goes south, they'll be much more open in the future too. <laughs> Normally, land pricing is towards the end of the cycle. Well, we don't have any more questions. Do you guys have any more thoughts you would like to share this um, morning lunch hour for us in Colorado and on the West Coast? It's still late, it's snack time. Are you guys on the central time zone and East Coast, you guys are actually having your little lunch. So any other comments for to finish up the lunch hour? I would say speed, don't wait. Oh yeah. I was going to oh, make absolutely. a comment about cycle time because we've talked about all of the products, um, but real quick, talk about the benefit of really looking at improving their cycle time. And you've met with a, a client recently where 
they had what 200 300 days 200 over 200 days in their cycle time and dropped it down to about 120 by really focusing on what they're doing their processes yep. and procedures they were 180 to 220 now they're they're banging them back on the door in 90 days tell me that doesn't have an effect on being able to sell a house uh the other thing is you know you've got a, you got a couple of weeks really to make a difference in 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 your spray market if you're sitting with your sales at way subpar everything we just described you've got to have done and rolled out and be ready to go in 30 days or less the last time we did this i put the i put the pricing on the website where i wanted to go and my our website hit up so that helped drive the team to make that deadline and we rolled out new product in three weeks i highly recommend don't wait until the end of doing this because that was a pain in the butt well excellent um, and i would agree with i would agree with ed's comment you're already behind the curve. Yep. You're, you're, you should have been doing this back in September or yep. August. When interest rates hit 7% in August, you should have been redesigning your product. Yeah, I mean, Chuck's 100% right. If you were doing this in August, you would be rolling out that product. Well, a good rollout. If you rolled that out in October, you'd have, you'd have kept selling uh, because the demand is still there. Most of those we're working with have people are there. They're just not signing the deals. The, I, I don't know if I'm speaking to the crowd that knows this, but I wrote a paper in uh, 2020 that this is the best decade ever for housing. And it is. I mean, we've had two fantastic years uh, 2021 and 2022. 2021 was, the, we had the, from our sample, we had the highest profits ever on the sample. And 2022 is going to supersede the profitability that the builders got in 2021. Uh, the demand is huge. The opportunity is huge. Uh, we just have to get, get over this problem that we've got with the inflation. Thank you, Chuck. I'm going to share my screen real quick. We're coming to the last few minutes, and I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Um, as a reminder, we have our executive summit coming up next week. There are a few spots available. Oh, before I continue, I have a question. Oh, this is from Jeannie. For the last year, we've been converting to uh, UM pricing, and now the only thing we have left is the HVAC and plan on doing that for the next week, in the next week. I have one market that does not want to do zoned systems and the other does. Also, they want to oversize our units. How do you get through to them that this is what we want and this is the size without them claiming that they will not warranty it? I would well, go to the manufacturer use... and have the manufacturer size the equipment. Ed, I'm sorry, I stepped on your toes. No, no. You... <laughs> You're you're right on right on par. Is like first of all, it's against code to oversize it. They don't work properly when you oversize it. Manufacturers are usually a good resource. The second part of the manufacturers go find somebody else. They're all looking for work. Again, competition fixes everything. Okay. Stop falling in love with your trades. <laughs> Thank you for your question, Jeannie. Um, so just a reminder, the Executive Summit is next week. We'll be um, there Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. This year, we're focusing on challenges, fuel success. That's sort of what this 
little series of webinars that we're doing, this is a great opportunity for you guys to really focus on where all of the holes are in your organization and start to work on improving those processes and procedures. Um, so if we have a few spots left, if you'd like to join us next week, you can register at builderpartnerships.com forward slash executive summit. Um, as, and just as a reminder, these are all the different services that we provide. We have rebates, a training, individual one-on-one -on -one consulting and coaching. Um, Ed has been working with several different builders on a lot of the topics that we talked about today. So if you're interested in, in meeting with him privately, you can send him an email or contact us here at our local office. Um, we also offer surveys. So if you wanna see how you stack up against um, with the with the trades, we can do a builder of choice survey to see how you're, how you're um, stacking up with the trades and your employees and even with your customers. So we offer those as well. And then we have a builder support group. It's actually a builder group. Um, this is a great, these are great groups that we have where the builders are able to strategize with each other and learn from each other for best practices. And um, we have a builder group, actually Ed was a part of a builder group and they um, lean on each other for continual support and growth in their own organizations and they help each other on a regular basis. Um, if you're using any one of these manufacturers, we talked today about how, how to save costs. We have a rebate program that you can get rebates from. It's a very simple process. You can learn more about it at um, builderpartnerships.com or you can contact us at our local office or send an email to info at builderpartnerships and we can get you set up and getting rebates right away. Um, we have a great consulting team. Uh, it is part of our consulting team and we have uh, five other consultants that are out on a regular basis working with builders to help them improve their processes and procedures to maximize profitability and continue to build the best homes um, for their customers. And this is our current seminar schedule. Um, we have Managing for Profit that's coming up at the end of March. If you haven't been to one of our seminars and are interested in learning more about what our philosophies are and how to use um, the management concepts we talk about in our webinars and in our different seminars. This is the best one to start with. Um, and we still have space available for you to join us there. And that will be in Atlanta. And of course, webinar Wednesday is on Wednesdays. We will not have a webinar Wednesday next week because we'll be at our executive summit in Florida, but we will be back again in um, two weeks with Jim. Um, so we hope you'll join us in two weeks for that. Um, but thank you all for joining us today for Webinar Wednesdays. We're always excited to have you. We hope that we give, we leave you with some value and you can take some of the concepts that you've learned today and implement them right away. Um, if you have questions directly for Ed, you can reach him at ed at shinconsulting.com and you can reach me at ejswilder at shinconsulting.com if you have questions about any other um, topics that we discussed today. With that, thank you very much, Chuck. Thank you. Thank you, Ed, for um, great topics and great discussion. I hope to uh, do this again with you soon. You got it. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.